Perfect nicknames are ageless. In our sport, we talk about the king, fireball, and little E. Baseball, on the other hand, has babe, golf has tiger, and basketball, well, they've also got a few, like Dr. J, the Black Mamba, and Air Jordan. They transcend their respective sports and all too often outlast the very individuals that carry these monikers, like the symbol of merit that they truly are. In NASCAR, we talk about another nickname that to this day brings to the forefront memories of bitter admiration from fan and non-fan alike, the Intimidator, Dale Earnhardt. We had to park the race car a couple blocks away from the motel. We hauled booze and stuff with them and made sure that we had the car to beat the Revendeers with. So uh, I was pretty well on my way racing when I got to the race car. Well, I think a Winston Cup race would, would work and, and people would like it no matter where, you know, where it went. And certainly uh, Las Vegas. I'll tell you something else. Uh, I did. He's talking about coming to Texas and winning his first cup race. He won his first bus race here. You know, it's really nothing special. It's just a job my dad does. He could be a plumber, you know. Yesterday afternoon, the Hendrick Motorsports Beach 200 disappeared from the radar, trying to land at the tiny Blue Ridge Regional Airport. We go to Homestead! Make room, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. There's another seven-time champ. Dale Earnhardt wasn't born the Intimidator. I'm sure if you find the right people, they'd have some legend about how he was born that way and had his trademark mustache from day one. But I promise you that wasn't the case. The reality is Dale is a legend, but he made himself that way. What you'll learn as we look at Dale's life and his impact on NASCAR is that he understood how to present himself however he had to in order to be perceived how he wanted. The reality is Dale was born into a rather typical family. His parents, Ralph and Martha Earnhardt, had already had two children before Dale came along, and they'd have two more after him. Ralph worked at a local cotton mill, but once he punched out, he pursued his racing dream. After only starting racing in 1949, it wasn't long until he made racing his full-time career, taking the plunge in 1953. Although Ralph never won a race in the Cup Series, he did run 51 races from 1956 to 1964, finishing as high as 17th in the standings. He did win the 1956 Sportsman Championship, however, which is what we would know, which we would now call the Xfinity Series. His driving was impressive enough that he was named as one of the sport's 50 greatest drivers in 1998 and would remain on the list of 75 greatest drivers when the list was reevaluated in 2023. Sadly, Ralph would pass away from a heart attack in 1973 when he was only 45. Dale was only 22. Dale's racing career started when he was quite young, especially by the standards of the time. When he was 12, he drove his father's car unbeknownst to Ralph in one of his races. In 1972, just a year before Ralph passed away, the father and son actually ran their one and only race together, competing at Metrolina Speedway. Although they were racing in different divisions, the two did meet up on track. Dale Jr. tells a story on lost speedways and tells the story far better than we ever could. Dale would start racing in the Cup Series in 1975, going full-time in 1979, competing for Rod Ersterlund. 
The rest, as they say, is history. Statistically speaking, Dale's career puts him on just about any top 10 list you want to create for this sport, but statistics don't necessarily dictate influence. Additionally, it's hard to quantify someone's influence, but when we look across the grand scale of her sport, there are various areas in which Dale Earnhardt forever changed the landscape. We're going to take a look at only two of them, but let it be known that the scale of Dale cannot truly be measured. The value of a name is often underestimated, even by the best of us. Often, we don't even consider the ways our name truly impacts our lives. It can determine whether we're able to acquire a loan, to purchase a home, car, or business. It can determine whether other individuals are willing to associate or to do business with us. It can even influence people's opinion of us without ever having met us. As certain names provide opportunity for certain stereotypes to be a Applied, whether warranted or unwarranted. Perhaps nobody in the history of NASCAR truly understood the value in their name, as well as the names of those around them, more than Dale Earnhardt Sr. It's important to note that we could never do this story justice in the way that those who are around Dale in this area of his life can do it. Because of that, we sincerely recommend that you listen to two specific episodes of the Dale Jr. Download podcast, specifically episodes 458 and 459. While it's unclear, at least through our research, when Dale first realized the importance and value in licensing and marketing, it's very clear that it became a huge part of what the rest of his career would look like, and perhaps how he viewed his career after hanging the helmet up. What is known, however, is Dale wanted control over his own name, image, and likeness, and he got it. And once he got his, he encouraged other drivers such as Jeff Gordon and Rusty Wallace to do the same. It was through these relationships with other drivers, as well as individuals, that he put into place within his business network that his souvenir business really began to take off. Earnhardt owned and operated a business called Sports Image with the sole purpose of selling his own merchandise, collectibles, and souvenirs. He would sell Sports Image in 1996 to Action Performance for a reported $30 million. Later, he and Jeff Gordon would purchase a majority stake in Action's performance as the company soared in profitability, according to a July 1, 2003 article by Matt Piller in Innovative Retail Technologies, Action Performance had grown to $400 million in sales annually. The reality is, unfortunately, that this article was published after Dale Earnhardt passed away as the 2001 Daytona 500 was concluding. There isn't many specifics published about who took over which portions of Earnhardt's business ventures following his passing, but we can still see elements of his legacy even today. Action Performance was purchased in 2005 and became a large portion of Motorsports Authentics, a company founded as a joint venture, venture between Speedway Motorsports Incorporated and International Speedway Corporation. These two corporations were owned by the Smith family, who owns tracks such as Charlotte and Bristol and NASCAR themselves. While the company did face bankruptcy in 2010, it restructured and still lives on today, although a shadow of itself. Dale Earnhardt was absolutely paramount in the development and growth of the collectible and souvenir market of NASCAR and in how the driver contracts are written in regards to who owns and has access to a driver's name, image, and licensing. The interesting thing about influential people is that they often have the ability to be as such in various areas, and such was Dale Earnhardt. To expound on that even further, 
Often it can be said that influence often lives on longer than those who create it or have it. Sadly, this too was also true of Dale Earnhardt. Dale's, Dale's passing on the last lap of the Daytona 500 was nothing short of jarring. This was the first death during a NASCAR Cup Series race since that of J.D. McDuffie in 1991. That's not to say that the safety of NASCAR wasn't already under scrutiny after the passing of both Tony Roper and Adam Petty in 2000. But it was at best a dull roar from those in the racing community. For that matter, even Dale Earnhardt made an infamous quote when asked about whether the cars were getting too fast. He has been quoted as saying, I have heard some drivers saying we're going too fast at Charlotte. We're going too fast here. If you're not a race car driver and not a racer, stay home. He continued on to say, get out of the car if you got feathers on your legs or butt. There are many things that Dale is remembered as an icon for, but an important portion of that list is his open face helmet and goggles. I suppose that raises the question, how did he influence safety if he was seemingly against making changes to the sport? Well, sometimes things aren't always as intentional as a result may make them appear. But the reality is that the death of Dale Earnhardt set in motion an increase in awareness of the lack of safety requirements in NASCAR that would push the sport and its safety focus forward rapidly. While it's unfair to others who lost their lives or suffered grievous injuries to call them the catalyst of change, it's important to mention that had he not lost his life in this manner, the calls for change that had already increasing in late 2000 into the offseason may have eventually died down before real substantial change had occurred. As a matter of fact, even the death of the man many thought invincible wasn't the only death that occurred in 2001 that made a lasting impact on the sport. While this episode is about Dale Earnhardt, it is important to mention that how critical and important the death of Blaze Alexander was to NASCAR. Blaze would lose his life in an ARCA event in October of 2001 to the same type of injury that killed Dale. Head first into the wall after an accident, resulting in a basilar skull fracture and unfortunately death. In a cruel twist of irony, Carrie Earnhardt, son of Dale, was driving the other vehicle involved in the accident. While it wasn't a NASCAR event, per se, the two series often operated around each other and drivers often went from one series to the other, such as was the case with Blaze. The hands device, as we know it, or the head and neck support device, was implemented less than two weeks after the passing of Blaze. The reality is that rarely does anything in NASCAR change within two weeks, at least not with regulations such as safety and driver equipment. Ultimately, the death of Blaze Alexander was the final straw for NASCAR and enforced the immediate implementation of the hands device regulation and also led to NASCAR implementing rules banning open-face helmets of any type. It's easy to look at these events and have the thought that perhaps NASCAR would have made these decisions after the death of Blaze anyway, but it's important to think of how easy it may have been to simply sweep the death of a driver in the fourth-tier series under the rug. That may sound harsh, but in an era where many of the most vocal voices in NASCAR were actively speaking out in objection to added safety measures, these were not decisions that the governing body would have made lightly. To be frank, tragic as it was, the death of Dale Earnhardt opened up conversations and mindsets that had perhaps been completely closed off to the subject and his necessary changes. There is no denying that the legacy of Dale Earnhardt was multidimensional, and in typical Earnhardt fashion, larger than life itself. To this day, NASCAR is what it is in large part because of Dale Earnhardt. 
It's amazing, however, that like much of the rest of life, even NASCAR finds ways to repeat itself. But that's perhaps a conversation for another week.